welcome back to Let's Talk Physical Media. My name is John, and today we have a jam-packed show planned for you guys. There is so much news. we got so many questions to answer. So before we dive into that, if you guys don't know how this show works, every single Sunday we meet here and we talk all things physical media, movies, and whatever questions you guys want to answer... That's what we do every week here. We talk for about 45 minutes to an hour. We just hang out, talk about our favorite things, which are physical media and movies. And we like to start off the show every single week with the news. And this week, there was a ton of it. Oh my God, we got spoiled this week with news, which makes sense. We're getting ready. You know, we're gearing up for spooky season. We're gearing up for the holidays. All the studios want to get out their collector's editions or all the big movies, you know, to put in everyone's stockings or underneath the Christmas tree or to give out for Hanukkah or whatever holiday you choose to celebrate around December. You know, all the studios want to capitalize on that. They want to make sure that they're greasing up their pockets with all that green stuff out there. So they have to make sure that they put their best foot forward. And for the collectors out there like us... We got spoiled this week with plenty of big announcements, but the biggest announcement actually came from Disney. Concentrating on physical media, they really are finally leading into it. Disney Plus shows are coming to Blu-ray and 4K, I believe at the end of September here in the U.S. They didn't announce their international release dates yet. I had a couple questions about that, but they did confirm that they will be released internationally. I imagine around the same date. They just haven't announced it yet. Probably just working out how to get the stuff shipped there and you know different labels and all that stuff. But it is coming internationally. And what I'm talking about is the Disney Plus shows, Loki, WandaVision, The Mandalorian Seasons 1 and 2. And I also heard Falcon and the Winter Soldier will be coming physically. And the artwork for all this stuff is gorgeous. I'm very happy that they finally announced all this stuff along with Prey last week from them. Disney finally might be leaning into physical media. Now... It's possible that maybe they're just testing the waters out here because we heard a couple months ago how they stopped putting out 4K Blu-rays and stopped basically selling movies physically in Australia and other Asian markets. But maybe they just felt like those markets weren't scooping up physical media like the, you know, the Region A market or the Region B market. So maybe that's why we will be getting them internationally, but mostly here in the U.S. That's the official release dates is because they're just leaning into certain markets. Now, I hope that's not the case. I want everybody to have their choice of physical media. Physical media, I think, is extremely important. I'm just happy that Disney is showing their support for physical media and we're getting these on physical because if you're like me i actually canceled my disney plus subscription last week when they announced that it was going to 15 dollars a month when disney plus was first announced i think two years ago it was only 7.99 a month and it was a steal you get the entire back catalog of disney all of their animated films all of their classic releases it also had turner and hooch on there which i absolutely love turner and hooch so i was happy that that was there as time goes on if you're a physical collector like myself you wouldn't really run back to Disney Plus all that much except for their original programming. And I really enjoyed the first two seasons of The Mandalorian. I thought Loki and WandaVision were probably their two best shows. So it makes sense that those would be coming to physical first. Everything else that has come since, like when it comes to like Moon Knight or, you know, She-Hulk or even some of the Disney Plus Star Wars shows like The Book of Boba Fett, which was really a mixed bag. You know, I kind of fell off like their original programming. I felt like they watered down Marvel and Star Wars. And if they're going to be charging 15 bucks for that, and I collect all their movies physically as it is, I don't see any reason to keep Disney+. And now that they're going to be releasing all of their stuff physically, I would rather shell out the extra money own those shows physically so I know that I have them forever. They can't be pulled from streaming. You know, that's the one thing about streaming you guys have to understand is eventually that stuff could get pulled. You don't own the rights to the movie. You're like kind of borrowing the rights if you buy a movie digitally, but if you own it physically, it's yours. They can't take it from you. Take this thing away from me. I 
So I'm really happy to see Disney leaning into that, giving us these shows physically. I'm really happy about that. That was definitely the announcement that caught me off guard this week. I didn't expect that at all. And just before I started recording, Adult Video announced their November releases. And I gotta be honest, pretty disappointed by this. I was really hoping we were gonna get something big here, you know, a title that stands out. Now, these might stand out to you guys, but for me, you know, the big one is probably Tremors 2. They released a really nice collector's edition of the first Tremors. I actually have Tremors on 4K, so it's cool that we'll be getting Tremors 2 on 4K and Blu-ray coming in November. And we're also gonna be getting Barbella. That's a US, Canada release, it's coming to 4K, and that's another one I'm like, I've never seen it, so I don't really know. They're releasing an entire Inside the Mind of Coffin Joe Blu-ray set. That seems to be the big one that they're promoting for November. I have never seen any Coffin Joe movies, but I have heard some of my favorite critics from the Critically Acclaimed Podcast Network talk about Coffin Joe in the past, and they've said some positive stuff about it, so maybe I'll check these out eventually, but I don't think I'll be grabbing these on day one, mainly because November is already a loaded month as far as movies coming to 4K and Blu-ray, and one that got announced coming, I believe, on November 17th, one of my favorite Christmas films, one that I watch every single year. I would probably put it at number three on my favorite holiday films all time, and that is Scrooge, starring Bill Murray, directed by Richard Donner, the guy who brought a Superman and Lethal Weapon, and the score is done amazingly by Danny Elfman for this movie. It is a holiday classic. Bill Murray has never really been better. He is hysterical in this movie. You know, he plays the perfect Bill Murray character, an asshole who needs to learn his lesson, and boy does he learn that lesson. It's just basically a retelling of A Christmas Carol, but this time, instead of it being Scrooge learning his lesson, it's Frank Cross. Most people just call me Mr. Cross. I just love Bill Murray in that movie. I can't wait for that to come to 4K. Another movie that got announced for 4K is Trading Places. We're getting spoiled with these Paramount releases, releasing all of Eddie Murphy's movies on 4K. That's really the last big one, except for The Nutty Professor on 4K. I would love to get that one day. But Trading Places is a big one. That was, I believe, his second film after 48 Hours. And that's a great one. Him and Dan Aykroyd have just great chemistry. It's a classic tale. It's an awesome movie. It's kind of a Christmas movie when you think about it. You see Dan Aykroyd in that disgusting and dirty Santa Claus suit eating salmon on the, what was that, a train? Just disgusting. But I guess it's kind of a Christmas movie when you think about it. And for a lot of boys, that was the first time you ever saw your set of boobs was seeing Jamie Lee Curtis's in uh, Trading Places. So now you get to see that in beautiful 4K. Nothing better than that, right? Another 4K that got announced, and I was very surprised at this, is The Muppets Take Manhattan. Now, I believe that is the first Muppets movie to come to 4K, and I would have thought that the original Muppets movie would have been first, or, you know, the Muppets Christmas Carol version. I'm still very happy that The Muppets Take Manhattan. I would say that's probably not my favorite of The Muppets movies, personally, but hey, if we're gonna get Muppets movies on 4K Blu-ray, I'm there for it. I love The Muppets, although I didn't come to The Muppets through, like, their TV shows or anything like that. Funny enough, I actually read The Muppets movie book, my grandparents, for some reason, they just had the movie book with all pictures and everything with it. That's how I found the Muppets, so I always just remember seeing the picture of, oh, we're coming to a fork in the road, and just seeing the fork in the road, and I just thought that was hysterical, so I had to go back and watch the Muppets movies. I was very young, but still, I love the Muppets, so I'm very happy. I, you know, I was more of a Muppets baby guy, just because of the time of when I was born. I used to rent the VHSs from Block, uh, Blockbuster, from the library all the time, so I like the Muppets babies as well, and I'm really glad that we're going to be starting, hopefully this is the beginning of a trend, of getting the Muppets movies on 4K. And another strange thing that was announced is that Jackie Brown and Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 are getting new Blu-ray releases, I think in these nice steelbooks, if I'm correct, 
And, you know, there were rumors that they were going to be coming the 4K, and they still might be. That might be coming out next year. Maybe now that they have the rights to it, they're just kind of putting them out on Blu-ray first, and then next year we'll get the 4K. I already have them on Blu-ray, so I will not be picking these up. I'm waiting for a 4K release of Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 and Jackie Brown. I was sure we were going to get the Kill Bill on 4K this year. Just because of its anniversary, it's been 20 years since the first Kill Bill came out. Maybe they're going to be bringing it out next fall in honor of Kill Bill Volume 2's 20th anniversary. I'm not too sure. So I just thought that would have made sense. So maybe we'll get those on 4K next year, but I don't see a reason to pick those up on Blu-ray again when I already own them. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. Maybe if you don't own them on Blu-ray yet, they're worth picking up. But I say wait for the 4K. I still feel like those will be coming down the line. You know, you don't pick up the rights to these types of movies unless you plan on releasing them on 4K. Just because we already have so many Tarantino movies on 4K. And now that we have Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Glorious Bastards, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on 4K, we gotta complete that collection. And you can't complete the collection without Kill Bill and Jackie Brown. So I think we'll get those next year. So in my opinion, I say hold off unless you really don't have them. The box design is pretty nice, so I can't knock it for that. They did a good job with that. Really leaning into what you think they would, and they did a good job with that. So now that's actually actually going to do it here for the news for us so we're going to dive into the questions because we have a lot of them and a lot of them that are going to take some time so let's dive into those right now tell him freddy sent you and he wrote thoughts on the original tmnt films not on 4k any hope well actually i think there is hope the tmnt mutant mayhem that's in theaters right now it's already got its 4k blu-ray announced it's doing pretty well in theaters and i think if People buy that 4K Blu-ray, and, you know, there's enough talk about the original TMNT movies. You know, a lot of us grew up with those, had a lot of nostalgia for those. Those are my favorite TMNT movies still to this day. You know, I like the video games from back then as well. You know, Turtles in Time was great, but the original TMNT movies, those were classics. I know me and my brother Ryan absolutely loved the first one, and we were talking about that recently. And it would just be great to get 4Ks of those. So I do think that there is hope. I think if enough people buy the new TMNT 4K Maybe the studio will go, huh, maybe we should do new scans of the original TMNTs. You know, we haven't had any new scans since the Blu-rays, I think, that came out in the late 2000s. I want to say, like, 2009 is when we got that nice pizza box set. I don't know. I think it's definitely going to happen at some point. They're too popular not to. So maybe next year at some point. I just think it's going to come down to the sales and how much people are aware of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at the current moment. If enough awareness arises about them, we will get the original movies on 4K. And I think they would translate great to 4K. Who doesn't want to see Vanilla Ice in beautiful and stunning 4K? I know I do. So I hope that it eventually comes. Tell him Freddy sent you. And I do think that we do have a glimmer of hope in there. I think definitely Mutant Mayhem coming out is definitely going to help the collector out there get the originals on 4K. And actually, before we take the second question, there's a little bit of movie news, not physical media related. Dune 2 got announced that it's been delayed until March of 2024, when it was supposed to come out this November, and it had a lot of Oscar buzz around it. There were talk that this could win the Academy Award for Best Picture, kind of like how The Lord of the Rings won its Academy Award for its third film, completing the trilogy. This was going to complete, you know, part two after part one of Dune came out a few years ago. So people were really excited for Dune 2. It was completed. All they had to do was market it, but because Warner brothers and all these other major studios refuse to give the actors and writers the people who make their art a fair contract they have decided they would rather delay it till next year when they can have the actors actually out there promoting the film so you need the actors to market your film but you're not willing to give them a fair contract so you are willing to delay an already completed move because you don't have the right marketing for it because you would have to pay your actors to do that you're basically saying that you need them 
but you're not willing to pay them until you're willing to like stonewall them out essentially until they come crawling back to you that's just typical corporate greed i wouldn't expect anything less from studios like disney or warner brothers and this just lines up perfectly with that so the people who are going to really suffer for this are the people like us who are looking forward to seeing dune 2 in theaters later this year in imax they were promoting that pretty heavily we'll have to wait till next year and i just don't know with it coming out in march if it's going to have the same academy award buzz that it would have had coming out in november it's not impossible everything everywhere all at once i believe came out in the spring of 2022 and that won best picture so it's not like it's impossible but really recency buys has a huge part in how the academy votes for its best picture and i just don't know i think that this was a bad decision by water brothers and basically you're just admitting that you can't market your film correctly without your actors but you're not willing to walk out there across the picket line shake their hand and give them the contract they deserve that to me is very very disappointing and it just shows you again another great example of corporate greed at its finest and the people who have to suffer the most are its consumers and they will continue to raise prices that's why it's really frustrating that i'm talking about disney plus raising their price of their streaming service but they're not willing to pay their artists the money that they deserve so it's very frustrating in that sense and at the end of the day again we are the ones who are going to suffer for this so it's a little bit disappointing that we are at the mercy of these rich millionaires and billionaires who couldn't give a crap about the rest of us in this world so it's very disappointing in that sense but either way or we'll get dune out next year and from what it looks like it's gonna be a great film but anyway let's move on to more positive stuff and this one is from lorenzo harris man of god and he asks name a few of your rarest most valuable movies that you own that are out of print so i would have to say that the thing that's probably the most value in my entire collection that's out of print is the columbia classics volume one collection and that included gandhi or lawrence of arabia on 4k jerry Maguire, a league of their own so a lot of great movies on 4k in there and that's out of print and the last time i checked it's been a few months so don't quote me on this at all but the last time i checked it was selling for over a thousand dollars on ebay because a lot of those movies haven't been released individually on 4k so the only way to get them is still in this 4k blu-ray box set like if you want a league of their own on 4k which i think is a phenomenal 4k by the way i might do a review on the channel for that because it's my one of my top two favorite baseball movies ever. I love that movie. And the 4K is gorgeous because Sony owns Columbia. So that's a Sony 4K Blu-ray disc. So you can imagine it's got great quality. So that's probably the most valuable thing in my collection that's gone out of print. And then I, right behind that, and this might actually lower in value now that they have announced a brand new steelbook of this, and that's Memento. I have a Canadian Blu-ray of Memento, a steelbook version of it, that was going for a couple hundred dollars a few months ago, but now that Memento is getting a new release on Blu-ray and also in a new steelbook, I imagine the value of my steelbook is definitely going to drop in value. It's just frustrating also to this point that we haven't gotten uh, Memento on 4K Blu-ray. We've gotten a lot of other Nolan movies on 4K, but we haven't gotten Memento, which is still probably one of his best stories that he's ever told. So it would be nice to get a 4K of that, even if it does drop the value of my Blu-ray. I don't mind that. I'm just happy to have it on 4K. So hopefully we get that one day. And then believe it or not, I don't think I have anything of too, too much value as far as like things that are out of print. I have like a bunch of like collections of like movies that are a little bit expensive, but the, I don't think they're out of print. I actually don't think I have too many out of print stuff. I'm looking at my collection now. Most of the stuff is still available to you. You know, some of the stuff is a little bit old, but they that's just because they've received upgrades. So I don't really have too much stuff in here that is very much out of print. I would have to say it's just Memento and the Columbia Classics Volume 1 collection because you can still buy Columbia Classics Volume 2. Um, if you can't buy the Sony Pictures Classics 30th Anniversary set, that is also a beautiful set and it's worth every single penny. 
it's just really going to come down to how do you feel about the films in that set. But that's also an expensive set, but I don't think it's out of print yet. But anyway, Lorenzo, that was a great question. If you can ever get your hands on that Columbia Classics Volume 1 set, I mean, it's one of my, if not my most cherished possession in my 4K collection, just because of how nice the packaging is. And all six discs in that set are beautiful. And they're loaded with extras. I really have just no complaints about it. It's not worth over $1,000 because really for six discs, nothing is. Eventually, they should get re-released, but you never know. We still haven't gotten True Lies, The Abyss on Blu-ray. There was another rumor floating around this week that almost got confirmation is that Titanic will be eventually coming to 4K Blu-ray. But I'm not too surprised at that. Titanic had a 4K re-release in theaters earlier this year for its anniversary, and we knew that was a brand new 4K scan, so all they had to do was print those on disc, so we knew that was done, we just have to wait for it, but people have been waiting for True Lies and The Abyss to come to 4K, we never even got it on Blu-ray, so we've been waiting forever to get those on at least some sort of new physical release upgrade from those previous DVDs. But unfortunately, we haven't gotten that. We haven't gotten any confirmation. But it looks like we'll actually finally get Titanic. I expect an announcement for that pretty damn soon. And the next question is from... So thanks, Lorenzo. I really do appreciate that question, buddy. The next question is from Planet Bazaar. And he wrote, What is your least favorite popular film? I actually have a few of these movies that I... Uh, that are out there that everyone seems to love and i'm just like I, I don't get it i would have to say that the biggest one is definitely mad max fury road i've watched that movie three times now i i just don't like it i really don't and i i like the original mad max movies personally i think the original mad max is the best one road warrior is pretty good thunderdome is a mixed bag but I really didn't like Mad Max Fury Road. And that movie took the world by storm when it came out. I mean, everybody loved it. It got a Best Picture nomination. And I was like, it's just a two-hour chase movie. You know, they go one way and then they come back. Now, I get it. It looks gorgeous. And it absolutely does. But I've never been somebody who just watches a movie. Like, I love beautiful visuals. I collect 4K Blu-rays. I love gaming. I have to have an OLED TV. I have to have the best stuff to make sure it looks visually stunning. But I need a good story. And I just didn't find the story in Mad Max Fury Road compelling. I'm one of those people, like, when Marvel or DC, they love to put their third acts in there of just a big fight scene. I mean, I'll tune out. I'll be like, oh, my God, I've seen this 77 times already. I don't need to see it again. I want a compelling story. If you could do something that just... if The story the story is the most important part to me. I have to get wrapped up in these characters. I need some character development. I cannot watch a movie just for visuals. I mean, I love visuals, but visuals are there to assist in the storytelling. If you don't have a good story, I'm not really too interested in your movie. I don't go there just for eye candy. I need more to it. I need some substance. I felt like Mad Max Fury Road, in my opinion, didn't have enough substance to tell a compelling story. I've watched it. I've tried it. I own it on Blu-ray. I just couldn't get into it. It just didn't click for me. It wasn't working. I didn't understand why people love that movie so much. I mean, I do understand, but it just it's not my kind of movie. And it's unfortunate because you kind of feel like you're left out. I guess the other big one, and I've talked about this one on the channel more often than not, is Jaws. I still like Jaws, though. That's the thing. Mad Max Fury Road, I don't really like that movie. Like, I could still watch Jaws. I can enjoy Jaws. I just don't have the love for Jaws that other people have. People put Jaws as their favorite film of all time. Shamrock Balls, a.k.a. David, that's his favorite film that he's ever seen in his life. My cousin Matt, who used to be on this channel, that's probably his second favorite film of all time. My cousin Dennis, that is his favorite film of all time. I talked to so many people. Jeff from Films at Home, that's his favorite film of all time. I do not see that. I do not understand why they love that movie so much. 
I think it's a damn good movie. A really solid 8 out of 10. Steven Spielberg sprinkles his magic on top of it. I mean, it is a great movie. It's just for me, I don't have that same love that other people have for it. I wish I did. I always feel like I'm left out in that. But I can't lie and say that it grabs my heart like it does for other people. I just can watch and go, okay, you know what? That was good. But that's it. You know, some mov- that's how most movies are. Most times you walk out of a movie and go, that was good. And then you go on about your day. Now, there's always those movies that capture that magic in you where you feel like, oh, my God, I have to go back. Like the last movie that got me like that was Oppenheimer, where I walked out of the theater and I was like, I have to go back in and see it again. I went back two days later and I could see it again for a third time right now. It's that damn good. And you only get a few of those in your lifetime. And unfortunately, Jaws and Mad Max Fury Road were not that movie for me. That, so that was a great question, Planet Bazaar. I really appreciate that. Thank you, buddy. And this is our first Kevin L. question. And he asked, do you agree or disagree with the following movie statements? I'll go one by one and I'll let you know if I agree with them. And he wrote, The Exorcist is the greatest horror movie of all time. Um, It's not my favorite horror movie of all time. But I do agree that it is the greatest horror movie of all time, if that makes sense. Mainly because of the impact that it had. People still talk about The Exorcist to this day. It's in my top ten horror films of all time. It's compelling. It's great storytelling. It's William Freakin's masterpiece. It's still scary. So yes, for what it did and the cultural impact, all those stories about people seeing it in theaters back when it first came out, fainting in the theater, puking in the theater, just being petrified, you really can't compete with that the legacy that left behind so yes i think that the exorcist the name value alone makes it the greatest horror film of all time quentin tarantino has never made a bad movie i 100 percent agree with that i think his worst movie is death proof and that is still enjoyable that is like a 7 out of 10 movie and if that's his worst film yeah quentin tarantino has never made a bad movie in my eyes Darth Vader is the greatest movie villain of all time. Again, not my choice for the greatest movie villain of all time, but the legacy that Darth Vader left behind cannot be denied. Luke, I am your father, which is not even the line, is probably one of the most iconic movie twists of all time, if not the most iconic movie twist of all time, probably only competing with The Sixth Sense at this point, but still... Darth Vader's legacy, he is the greatest movie villain of all time. He got a whole trilogy dedicated just to his origin story. That's how popular Darth Vader is. So it's hard to say that he isn't the greatest movie villain of all time. I actually think Anton Chigurh from No Country from Old Men is the greatest movie villain of all time because the guy is just a walking and barely talking monster. So I think he would be my choice if I was going to pick who I think the greatest is of all time. But Darth Vader... That legacy just cannot be denied. Pulp Fiction is the greatest movie from the 1990s. That I 100% agree with. It's not only my favorite movie from the 1990s. The legacy that Pulp Fiction left behind... There's before Pulp Fiction, then there's after Pulp Fiction. You know, we kind of have the rising action with Reservoir Dogs in 1992, but Pulp Fiction, man, that changed the game. How many movies to this very day are still trying to copy Quentin Tarantino's style that he mastered in Pulp Fiction? There were so many ripoffs that came out just after it. There's ripoffs still coming out to this day of Pulp Fiction and its storytelling. That's how much of a legacy it left behind. That quippy dialogue that Tarantino writes, that only Tarantino can write. You know, the non-linear storytelling the violence it's all there wrapped up in a beautiful story that you know you find yourself getting wrapped up in and i don't think that story works as well unless it's told non-linearly i've seen the movie linearly it still works it would still be like an 8.5 out of 10 but the non-linear storytelling raises that to a 10 out of 10 i absolutely love pulp fiction second favorite movie of all time it's really the movie that got me into film just because 
you're watching it and you could see the filmmaking on screen. You really appreciate what had to be done in the writing, the shooting, the editing. It all there on screen. And I don't think any movie from the 1990s left a bigger impact than that. And if you can believe it, it didn't even win Best Picture in 1994. That went to Forrest Gump, which I'm not one of those people who hates Forrest Gump. So I don't get too upset about that. And then the last thing is Tom Hanks is the greatest actor of all time. Well, Tom Hanks is my favorite actor of all time, but I don't think he is the greatest actor of all time. I think Daniel Day-Lewis is still probably the greatest actor of all time. Abandon my child! I've abandoned my child! Just the fact that this guy has won Best Actor, I believe, three times. And pretty much every role he's in, he's playing somebody different. He just falls into the role. Like, we don't know what Abraham Lincoln sounds like. But when you think of Abraham Lincoln, you think of Daniel Day-Lewis now. He falls into these characters. He becomes the character. And I think Daniel Day-Lewis is probably the greatest actor of all time. Now, again, he wouldn't make my top five favorite actors. The guy didn't make that many movies. But his commitment to his roles cannot be denied. The way he just acted is incredible. There's a reason why you win that many Academy Awards. is because people stop seeing Daniel Day-Lewis and they start seeing the character you're playing. Tom Hanks, you see Tom Hanks. I love Tom Hanks. I think Tom Hanks is incredible. He deserved both of his Academy Awards for Philadelphia and for Forrest Gump. At the end of the day, it's still Tom Hanks. I feel like people get wrapped up in their love for Tom Hanks the person because he seems like a, just a genuinely nice guy. He's always playing these loving people, you know, kind of uh, these people you care about. Now, not to say that he's not a bad actor because, I mean, nobody else can act against the volleyball like Tom Hanks did in Castaway. So Tom Hanks is my personal favorite actor of all time, but I wouldn't say he's the greatest actor of all time. And the next question from Kevin L is, what is my favorite memory from high school? Well, I don't really have too many fond memories of high school. Uh, I, I miss high school just because, you know, it was only six hours of my day and you got weekends off and I took all that stuff for granted back when I was in high school. I mean, high school for me, I wasn't a big fan of what was going on. You know, I had my core group of friends, but most of the people there weren't into the same stuff I was into. It's funny, when I was thinking about what my favorite memories from high school, I have such an obsession with movies that all my favorite memories from high school is like, oh, I saw The Silence of the Lambs for the first time in high school. And I'm thinking, well, is that something that you should be proud of or what, John? I don't know if that's a good thing if, like, that's what I took away from high school. But I do have a very fond memory of sitting there and enjoying The Silence of the Lambs, so... What can I say? That probably is one of my favorite memories. But my favorite memory, it does revolve around movies. And I've told the story here before. In 2008, I had a computer graphics class. And I had my buddy Kevin and my buddy Brendan were in the same class as me. And this is leading up to The Dark Knight coming out in July of that year. And every day, we would just look up Dark Knight news. We'd watch the trailer. We would talk about The Dark Knight. We would talk about Step Brothers. So me hanging out with those two guys and just talking movies. Those are probably my only two friends who were into movies like almost as much as I was. And we had a great time in that class. Like, we basically did no work in the class. We got our projects done pretty quick, and then we would just watch movie trailers the rest of the year. And we had a great time. So that's definitely my favorite memory that I took away from high school. Thanks, Kevin. I really appreciate that question. I wish I had a better answer, but for me and, me and high school were, eh. You know, I, I miss it now, but that's just because I hate my job. So there's a big difference. And this isn't my full-time job just so you guys know i unfortunately have a regular joe job that i have to do five days a week for 40 plus hours but you know one day maybe this will be my full-time job and then i'll love this job but my regular job 
Not a fan of it. And then his next question from Kevin L. again is, what are your top 10 movies where it was a debut movie of an actor? So I actually made a list about this, and I'll read it to you guys. And in number one, I got Jason Schwartzman from Rushmore. I mean, he just knocked it out of the park right out of the gate. Obviously, he's a part of the Coppola family, so we all know he can act. But he is great acting against Bill Murray in this movie. I really can't imagine anybody else but Jason Schwartzman in this role from Rushmore. Absolutely fantastic. And he's still acting today. We just saw him in Asteroid City. So he's still working with Wes Anderson. He's still a great actor. Absolutely love Jason Schwartzman's performance. And then at number two, I got Anya Taylor-Joy in The Witch. I actually didn't know until I was doing my research for this question that that was her debut movie. That's incredible. Anya Taylor-Joy got put on the map in the best way possible i love her in that movie um obviously i think her best performance is on the netflix show queen's gambit that came out a few years ago but still the witch is fantastic robert edgar's debut film and she was perfectly cast in the lead of that movie just incredible work i love anya taylor joy and you know what to get put on the map with the witch can't do better than that in my opinion yep i got Haley steinfeld and true grit now, this is a remake done by the Coen brothers that also stars Jeff Bridges. Haley Steinfeld is when one of my favorite coming-of-age movies of all time in The Edge of Seventeen. Obviously, she's done some work with the MCU lately, and she was in Bumblebee. But this is really where she got her start. It was her first film. And, I mean, she carries herself with such confidence in True Grit. I think the True Grit remake is actually better than the original, personally. I know that might be a little sacrilege to say, but I do think that she does a phenomenal job. And Jeff Bridges is also great, you know, doing that accent that he just loves to do in, like, movies like this or Hell or High Water. He loves to put that southern draw on everything. And at number four, I got Brad Dourif and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And it's very strange that he really wasn't able to capitalize on this as much as he was. He was nominated for an Academy Award. He didn't win but he was nominated it's his first movie he worked on broadway i believe before this but he as billy bibbit he just hits a home run in this movie you feel for the guy and then what happens to him at the very end of this movie is just absolutely brutal now he does give another phenomenal performance in movies like mississippi burning or even in the exorcist 3 where you get to really see those acting chops you know you could say oh well what about the chucky franchise he's great as chucky but i still don't think that that role is you know like a world-class acting performance, if that makes sense. I can't imagine anyone else being the voice of Chucky, but Brad Dourif, I feel like he could have been so much more. I think he could have been an Academy Award-winning actor if he had, like, just gone more of the dramatic route. I guess maybe he's more into the horror stuff, and that's why he went that way. You know, we get to see a little bit of that in Mississippi Burning. He plays a terrible person, but we get to see those acting chops. And I wish we could have got more of that, if I'm being honest. At number five, I have Alan Rickman in Die Hard. Can you believe that this is this guy's debut performance? Now, I know people are going to point to movies like the Harry Potter franchise or even Dogma, which I absolutely love, but this is still easily Alan Rickman's best performance. Christmas doesn't start until Hans Gruber falls out the window at Nakatomi Plaza. For me, that's it. He is so good. I just think of like all the facial expressions he makes in this movie, the way he delivers his dialogue. It's just hard to believe that this was his debut film role. Now, he was a stage actor before this, but still. For his first time on film, knocked it right out of the park. At number six, I got Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused. Yes, he was in uh, Unsolved Mysteries before this, but Dazed and Confused put him on the map. All right, all right, all right. Now you can argue, like, it's not a standout performance. It's not a big leading man role. But can you imagine Dazed and Confused without Matthew McConaughey? At number seven, I got Edward Norton in Primal Fear. This is another one. He was actually competing against Matt Damon, I think, for the role. And I can't imagine Matt Damon pulling this off 
like he did another movie from the 1990s that has an insane twist ending. It's crazy that he's in this and Fight Club, which have some of the most mind-blowing twist endings that you'll ever see. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but just know that it will blow you away if you haven't seen it. And Richard Gere also gives another great performance in this movie. But really, Edward Norton. I can't imagine anyone else in that role. It's amazing that Ed- Matt Damon was even up for it. Although, I guess Matt Damon maybe could have pulled it off. He did a talented Mr. Ripley, I think, a few years later. And... Similar characters. Number eight, I got Natalie Portman and Leon the Professional. Uh, you know, this movie, I think I said in last week's show, uh, can be a little uncomfortable at points, but Natalie Portman, my God, she was a star already in this movie. And she would swing this into other movies like Heat uh, the next year, and then obviously with Queen Amidala once we get to the Star Wars franchise, and then she became an Academy Award winning actress with movies like Black Swan, and then she's still acting today, doing a phenomenal job, but it all got started with Leon the Professional back in 1994, one of my favorite movies from the 1990s, acting against Jean Renault. It is incredible what she does in this movie. She really carries her on with confidence. And for such a young person, my God, what a performance. And number nine, Eddie Murphy in 48 Hours. Now, again, Eddie Murphy had acting experience. He was on Saturday Night Live at this point, but he came out of the gate hot with 48 Hours. He'd follow that up with Trading Places and then Beverly Hills Cop, and you just attach a rocket to his ass. I mean, I think he was only 21 years old, if I'm correct, when 48 Hours came out. That's incredible. He carries that movie. Nick Nolte's great, too. But that movie does not work without 48 Hours. That was originally supposed to be Sylvester Stallone, and I just cannot see that. Oh, wait, was that? I don't know. That might be Beverly Hills Cop. Don't quote me on that. Either way or, I can't imagine that movie without Eddie Murphy. And then at number 10, I got Orson Welles for Citizen Kane. Now, he was basically the writer, producer, director, star. So this is an Orson Welles film through and through. For his first time acting... You just don't see anyone else but Charles Foster Kane. And he basically predicted what he would look like in the future. When Orson Welles put on all that weight, he kind of looks like Charles Foster Kane when he gets all that weight put on him. So, again, a phenomenal performance here by Orson Welles. Definitely one of the best debut films I have ever seen. Next up, Kevin L. asks, What are my least favorite scenes from the following movies? And the first one is Halloween 5. I haven't seen Halloween 5 in a few years. I really don't enjoy that movie. I mean, I really love Halloween 4, and it's the continuation of that story, and where we left off with Halloween 4. And I feel like they fumbled the ball really hard with Halloween 5. I just don't enjoy the entire movie, so I don't really have a least favorite scene. I don't like that they made the main character a mute. That really kind of bothers me throughout the entire movie. Um, but the entire film I don't really enjoy. But Cena Chucky has numerous bad scenes. There's a scene in this movie where Chucky is basically beating off. He's a doll, by the way. I don't even know how that's possible. But they did have a son or daughter named Glenn or Glenda, depending how you look at it. Either way, it's a doll, and they somehow reproduced. I Again, something in the Chucky franchise I've never understood. When they get their bodies turned into dolls, somehow they have human organs, I guess? Find that out in Child's Play 3. But probably Chucky beating off is my least favorite scene in Child's Play. I mean, in C to Chucky, or the Britney Spears scene where they're... I mean, why did you do that? I get It's very 2004, I want to say, when this movie came out. It's a very 2004 joke, and it just does not work. The whole movie doesn't work. I told you, that's one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my life. Jason Goes to Hell. I actually like Jason Goes to Hell. I know a lot of people don't enjoy that one, but I enjoy that one quite a bit. It doesn't have enough Jason in it, because Jason's basically transferring bodies throughout the entire movie. It's like some kind of worm thing can go body to body. And I would have to say, that's my least favorite stuff about the movie, is that worm thing. Like, basically, that's what Jason is. That's his entity, is him going body to body. I mean, we have a great ending with Freddy's hand coming out and grabbing the mask. But, you know, that stuff like that, where he's going body to body... I don't know. doesn't really work for me entirely, but I do enjoy Jason Goes to Hell. 
A Serbian film. A Serbian film should not be seen by human eyes. It is brutal, ridiculous, and it's just so uncomfortable. But the worst scene in that movie, at one point, a woman gives birth, and then the guy who takes the baby out of the woman, he has intercourse with it. He has sex with it, and he calls it newborn porn. That is by far the worst scene in that movie, in a movie filled with brutal scenes along that line. So that movie, I say, unless that sounds good to you, which I don't know how, check that one out. It's going for shock value, and it is shocking. Freddy's Dead, uh, The Final Nightmare. I love Freddy's Dead, actually. I know it's a bad movie. I, I believe me, I'm fully aware that this movie is not good, but I really enjoy it. And, you know, the worst scene in the movie, which is still very funny, is when he puts the power glove, the Nintendo power glove on, and he's controlling the stoner kid in the TV and he's like now you're playing with power and it's like come on but again i'm sitting there smiling because they went for it just in the worst way possible but i do really enjoy freddy's dead definitely something you can watch every year freddy got fingered i haven't seen this movie since i was really young i hate this movie i have no desire to go back i don't remember what the worst scene in this movie is i just remember that i do not like this movie my wife likes this movie but i do not like it dumb and dumber 2 i was so disappointed with Dumb and Dumber 2. I was so excited. We were getting the sequel. Everybody was back. But man, they fumbled the ball so hard with this. What really drove me away from it was that they made these characters too dumb. Like, they're idiots in the first one. But they know basic stuff. They know what sex is. And in this movie, there's a scene with Freda Felcher. We know that Lloyd had sex with Freda Felcher from the first Dumb and Dumber movie. They bring it up. And he's, you know, the Mr. French tickler. So we know that happened. And when we get to see that scene in this movie and she asks him... Do you have protection? And he puts a helmet on. And I'm like, okay, he's dumb, but he's not that dumb. They really just went too far with it. Made it basically seem like that they couldn't even tie their own shoes is what this movie was trying to make Harry and Lloyd seem like. And I just feel like that's a misunderstanding of how the first Dumb and Dumber was, which is weird because it's the same director, same actors, and everything. So I don't understand what happened in the time period between 94 and when this movie came out. But something happened. Something got lost in translation. And this movie is awful. It made me rethink how much I loved the first Dumb and Dumber. Like, was I wrong for loving that movie so much? And that's a problem because I think Dumb and Dumber is the greatest comedy of all time. And then the last one is Halloween Ends. And my least favorite scene in Halloween Ends in a movie that I don't really enjoy is definitely Michael taking little Corey under his belt and showing him how to kill. When they go out together going on a killing spree and basically Michael's showing Corey how to do it. You know, Corey's got his own little mask on. It's a real good father-son relationship. I hate Halloween Ends. I know people like it. Original Fuzz who has a great YouTube channel that you guys should check out and subscribe to because he's doing amazing work over there. Uh, we were talking this week about Halloween ends and he was saying how he appreciates it you know most comparable to Halloween 3 season of the witch which I understand and Halloween 3 season of the witch is my favorite Halloween movie but I just feel like this movie coming off the first two Halloween movies it just doesn't work it doesn't work at all like we never built up to this we never built up to like this father-son story you know it was really building up to a Michael versus Laurie finale that's what we were hoping for in the third film and what we got was a dumb love story and a dumb father-son story in this movie we get a little bit of the conclusion we wanted but not enough of it and I just feel like this movie it's just not that good and that's my least favorite scene and then the last question from Kevin L is, he asked, what is the best horror movie from the each of the following years? And the first one is 2005, and I picked Red Eye, one of Wes Craven's best movies, one of his last great movies. Obviously, Scream 4 is also great, but this came out within the same year as Cursed, and Cursed is horrible. But Red Eye, starring Killian Murphy, who's on top of the world right now with Oppenheimer, 
and Rachel McAdams. This is, you know, I guess you could argue it's not a horror film. It's more of a thriller. But I'd say it's a horror thriller. And this one is great. I love Red Eye. You know, as a number two, I would say Constantine. There wasn't many great horror films that came out in 05, so it was kind of hard to pick. But Constantine's also a superhero movie, but it's got a lot of horror elements. So that was what 2005 looked like if you were a horror fan. 1986, obviously I'm going with Jason Lives. I think that is the best Friday the 13th film. That's really what rebranded the franchise. This is the first time we get zombie Jason. We brought him back to life, and they leaned right into the fun stuff with Jason Lives. Easily the best Jason film, in my opinion. You know, we get the Alice Cooper song, Man Behind the Mask. I love this movie. It's so much dripping in 80s, but I still absolutely love it. 1979, how do I not pick Alien? I think Alien is one of the greatest horror films, just one of the greatest films ever made. Ridley Scott made two masterpieces, in my opinion. He made this, and he made Blade Runner. Within three years of each other, just amazing production design. And the horror elements of this movie, basically, it's like Jaws in Space is the best way to describe it. That's how David, a.k.a. Shamrock Balls, would describe it. And it does make the most sense. You know, it's basically a slasher film. This alien is just hunting everyone down in this ship where nobody can hear you scream. I love Alien. 1965, I got Repulsion. This one was directed by Roman Polanski, really before he took off on movies like Rosemary's Baby and obviously one of my favorite films ever, Chinatown, but he made a horror film in the mid-60s, and 1965, this was actually the only horror film from 1965 that I'd seen, so it kind of wins by default, but it's a damn good movie if you haven't seen it. I know Roman Polanski for a lot of people, Persona Non Grata makes all the sense of the world, but this film is definitely great, so check it out. 2012, I got Sinister, one of the most underrated horror films that I have ever seen. Uh, Scott Derrickson and Ethan Hawke teamed up for the first time. They did The Black Phone last year. I think Sinister is a way better movie. This is why I was excited about The Black Phone. And The Black Phone is a good movie. But Sinister is one of the greatest horror movies to come out in the last 20 years. It's criminally underrated. Not many horror movies scare me. This didn't scare me, but it definitely made me feel eerie. Like those home videos, especially the lawnmower one or the one in the pool. That will sit with you, and it'll definitely get under your skin. 2022, I got Pearl. Pearl was my second favorite film of last year, only behind Babylon. Pearl was the uh, prequel to X, and it's also going to be a prequel to the third film in this trilogy, Maxine. And Maya Goff kills it in this movie. She carries this movie. She is a fantastic character study. Someone who we would see in X play two different roles. But Pearl is perfect. I mean, the way this movie is lit is incredibly. Everything looks so clean and beautiful. But then we got this sick person in there, played by Maya Goth. My God, what a performance by her in this. 1995, surprisingly not a lot of horror films to choose from. So I actually picked seven, even though that's probably not a horror movie. That's more of also a thriller. But it's got horror elements in there. We're dealing with a serial killer. Some of the set design is horrifying. Some of the imagery in this movie absolutely will sit with you. So I have to pick seven for 1995. And then last but not least, we have 1984. I'm going to go with A Nightmare on Elm Street. One of the greatest horror movies of all time. The horror movie that got me into horror. And this movie did come out the same year as The Terminator, which I've always said is a horror sci-fi film. And I do stand by that. But if I'm just going to go straight lace, straightforward horror, I have to pick A Nightmare on Elm Street. I absolutely love this movie. It still stands the test of time. And we need a 4K Blu-ray of it. And hopefully we get that one of these days. But that's going to be our last question of the week. So I want to thank everybody who sent in a question for us this week. I really do appreciate it. They were all great. And I really enjoyed talking with you guys for like the last 45 minutes to an hour. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's show. And if you did, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening to this on all podcasts, podcast services don't forget to give us a five-star rating so that apple keeps pushing the podcast 
And if you're not listening to it on podcasts, go over there and subscribe and vice versa. Make sure you come over to YouTube and send us in some more questions. So if you don't want to wait till the Wednesday post that I send out asking for questions, you can just leave them here in this video and I will make sure that I will answer them in next week's show. Thank you guys all so much for your continued support. It means the world to me. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, make sure you get out in those streets and tell your friends about us. We'll be seeing you around. Now.